it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you to make better financial decisions in your life. This episode, I got some very timely advice for you on money that you're saving, not investing. Also, last week, I returned from my summer vacation, and I have some takeaways I want to share with you to protect your wallet. So, about two months ago, I told you what an opportunity there was for you to save in bank-issued or credit union-issued CDs, that because of the inflationary cycle, interest rates had become so favorable for you, stashing your cash that you don't need day in and day out, but is money that you're putting aside kind of like in a parking space, not investing money, just saving money, the value of putting it in longer-term CDs. Well, now, as I feared, the interest rates on those longer-term CDs has dropped, dropped, dropped. Not way down, but it's definitely dropped. Why? Because the inflation reports have been so favorable lately. After we went through the brutal inflationary cycle, fortunately, it was short-lived, and now so many things actually are cheaper than they were a year ago. So we got back some of what was taken from us from the peak of that inflationary cycle. Other things have stayed more expensive. The overall net effect is that the headline inflation rate, as you heard recently, is around 3%. So if I got needs for money, what I'll pay you on your money that you give me In other words, as a CD, you're basically the bank lending the bank money. You're the lender, they're the borrower. That's what a CD is, except it's FDIC insured. Now, because the psychology of brutal inflation has been broken, even though inflation is not tamed completely, and we may have a few months where inflation does a little bit of a wave kind of effect, higher than expected, lower than expected, The trend is our friend, but it's not on your savings. So five-year CDs that we're paying in the fives, when I talked about this two months ago, now the best you're going to do is maybe uh, 4.65, 4.75, something like that, shopping around. So there's two basic ways to shop if you're going to do a ladder or you're just going to go long with some of your money. What's a ladder? You divide the money that you're willing to put aside into CDs into five equal piles. You put 20% in a one-year, 20% in a two-year, 20% in a three-year, 20% in a four-year, 20% in a five-year. So you have access to 20% of the money you've stashed in CDs every 12 months. And then when that 12 months comes, you can decide what you're going to do with it at that point. It goes in a savings account, spend it for something invest it, or put it into a new longer-term CD potentially, because the classic ladder is every year when 20% of your money comes available, you put it back into a new five-year CD. But the way the interest rates may curve a year from now, that may not be the best strategy. So you can buy the one, two, three, four, five, and you can look at bank rate. We got a list at Clark.com. You can see what the best rates out there are 
on those various terms. If you use bank rate as a search tool, know that the first ones you see are ones that paid them more money to list early. Go beyond to see the best rates. But the best way to buy CDs that are FDIC insured is actually through Vanguard, Schwab, and Fidelity. They will place them through wholesale channels, getting you potentially more money than you can get on your own. That is the smartest way to do it, but it may not be what you're comfortable doing. You may want to have a direct relationship with whatever bank you're putting the money in CDs instead of through Schwab Fidelity or Vanguard. So, Krista, it's funny that with the credit union and bank CDs, the biggest banks are still paying like it is two years ago. (laughs) They're paying like nothing. Yep. And that's why if you have your money that you don't need, that's idle cash, that you don't need right now, in Wells Fargo, Chase, City, or Bank of America, obviously you hate your money. You might as well just take it and throw it out of your car window onto the street or do something really wonderful with it. For others, give it to a charity you love. Let me tell you, the giant monster mega banks do not need your money because you're making a donation to them. Don't do it. Put your money to work the right way. Okay, you ready for questions? I'm ready for questions. This one's from Greg in California. I've been listening to you for a long time, and I came up with a question I don't remember ever hearing before that I bet a lot of your listeners would be interested in. Or I could be delusional and no one cares. In any case, here it is. Why do credit card companies give a grace period? Why doesn't the interest start accruing on this day that you make a purchase? I can speculate, but I want to know the real answer from our finance expert. So, Greg, thank you for asking a question that inquiring minds probably do want to know. A lot more people than you alone. Why do you get a grace period? There's a long-term tradition going back long, long ago, not just here in the United States, of having what are called net payment dates. Net 10, net 15, net 20, net 30. It's a period of time that an invoice is expected to be paid, and there's no penalty or interest as long as you pay under the terms of the net 10 to 30 days. Credit card companies are net 30. So it is an enormous benefit to the typical month, I think it's about 35, 40% of Americans who run no balance on a card. The bill comes in, they have that net 30 period, they pay the balance in full, and you are living off the bank or credit union's money interest-free. That's the design of it. However, you leave any money unpaid on that, what happens? Well, interest accrues moving forward, And any future charges are all subject to interest at the highest rates we have ever had on credit cards. So the system is so tilted towards those of us who pay our balances in full, who are being subsidized by those who can't or just lifestyle, they don't pay their balances in full. So it is a stacked deck in favor of people who pay in full each and every month. Tracy in Florida says, my husband has had an Amex gold card for about 20 years 
It still has a $160 annual fee compared to the current version's $250 fee. Wait, 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 wait. They never raised the fee? They must have grandfathered him in. I've never heard of that being done. He hasn't used the card in years, but refuses to close it because it's one of the, his oldest lines of credit, and he's afraid of what it will do to his score. I say he should cancel it since there's no downgrade path to a no annual fee card. Since it's in good standing, it would continue to show on his credit report for 10 years, and his other cards will have aged 10 years by the time it drops off. And since it's a charge card, it would have no effect on his monthly utilization. Who is right? Okay, I hate to say it, but he's mostly right in this case. If you use a charge card, which typically now only means American Express, there used to be a Diners Club charge card that was prominent in the United States as well. What the credit bureaus do is the highest charge balance that your husband ever had in any month becomes what they substitute as credit limit. So he does have a valid, valuable, useful, available credit with that Amex Gold card. So the right thing to do is for him to apply, if he's been with Amex for 20 years, apply for another Amex card, of which there are many, that are no, that is no annual fee, and get that card, and then close the Gold card. He'll maintain the long existing history he's had with the gold card he'll continue his relationship with american express and he'll continue to have current credit aging forward let me tell you why this is so important there was just an article i read i'm gonna guess it was barons but i could be wrong that when people get older they think ah well i don't need all these cards they start closing them And then suddenly they see their credit score go down, 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 down. Because you want to have a large amount of available credit, even if you're not using it, in order to preserve your credit score. Because the amount, the percent of your available credit you use each month accounts for roughly a third of what makes up your overall credit score. John in Hawaii says, hello, Clarkies. I received a check in the mail from Yahoo Inc. from the Yahoo Inc. data breach for $61.08. $61? I got one too. $61? Yeah, I think mine was six. It was in the 60s. Is this a legitimate check or just another tree giving its life? I appreciate all that the team does. Roth on. Roth on. That's right. Okay, John. That's the highest amount I think we've ever heard people getting from a class action, isn't it? Uh, It's pretty big. I have to, I got another check recently from another class action that was like in the $60 range too. Really? Because remember when people would contact us, they had a class action lawsuit check for less than a dollar or a dollar 80 or whatever, $61. I'm looking to see what mine was, but go ahead. (laughs) Wow. That's great. Yes. Take the money. Yeah, so, 6108. So I didn't get mine. Clara and our team got one too. Where's my check? I don't know. Maybe it's your old address. Did you sign up for the class action? I don't remember. Oh, man. Wow. I'll pay for lunch today. Yeah, <laughs> I will. Okay, coming up, I want to tell you, I was just on this wonderful trip 
and there are some gotchas along the way I want to make sure you are aware of, particularly if you're going to travel overseas. My wife and one of our three children and I went on a trip recently to Europe. It was fantastic other than the heat. I want to tell you there are two spoiled people right here. Krista as well. Guilty. You were on an adventure to Europe, multiple countries for three weeks? Three, almost three. Three weeks. The funny thing was you and your family crossed over with us in Europe three hours, I yeah. think. <laughs> it was like no time at all. You rented a car in Europe. Mm-hmm. I rented a car in Europe. And I'll talk about where we went and stuff in a second. But renting a car in Europe is a bit of adventure with more difficulty than you have renting a car in the United States because some countries will not honor the insurance coverage that comes with a credit card that could be primary or secondary for the vehicle. You need to know there are ways for you to protect that car rental overseas without having to buy the zillion dollar insurance from the insurance agency. You ended up having to buy it. it. And I used it. And Oh, you wrecked the car? (laughs) Confessional time. I didn't do the right thing. I didn't look over the car when I took it out. I just got it and left. Totally forgot to video it. And they said we had curbed the wheel, but we hadn't, I had not, I knew I hadn't done it. But they, I don't know. I've curbed wheels lots of times in my life. I, didn't I've done it a ton, but I would remember because I know the sound of it. I rented the same car, I drive it home. And so, yeah, but luckily, like, wait, you rented a Tesla in Europe? I rented a Model Y. There's chargers all over. It was cheaper. And then I didn't have to pay the huge gas prices, which was crazy. Which uh, the most we paid was the equivalent of $9.45 a gallon. Yeah, and we drove it a lot. It was a great deal. I got a great deal through Sixth. I got 20% off of the lowest price I had found anywhere else. But anyway, and yeah. And then what was the daily insurance charge? It was a lot. But honestly, now I'm, I was so glad that I got it because I know the wheel will be covered. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about alternatives. One is you can buy a policy from some of the premium travel cards. So as an example, American Express sells one that instead of 300 euros, it's $25 for the entire length of your rental. So if you're doing a long, long rental or even two days, it's much cheaper with that add-on policy that you buy through American Express than it is to have to be at the rental counter and have them push you or you end up deciding you need all that insurance junk, semi-insurance junk from them, is that the credit card coverage, again, the normal credit card coverage may or may not cover you outside the United States. But these policies that some of the premium travel cards offer that you pay, again, per rental, one flat fee per rental, sit in place of the coverage you can buy or push to buy outside the United States from the car rental agency. As for what Krista said about the vehicle, all three of us walked around the vehicle looking at every last thing, and our son's the best at it because he will see a speck of a scratch. Wow. All right, so 
we had something happen when we returned the car rental that I've not experienced before. You know how this vehicle had some meaningful kilometers on it. And when people pull their uh, suitcase out of the trunk or the hatch of a car, you know, it'll get little scratches or chips on that back lid from people one after another over and over again, pulling luggage in, putting luggage out. And there was a little micro chip there that was like teensy, teensy, teensy tiny, like smaller than the head of a pencil eraser. And the guy's writing it up. And I'm like, what? They're going to bill me for that? And then he looked on his system. He saw they'd already billed somebody else for that. Uh Otherwise, I would have been charged for that. Well, actually, the insurance I had would have been a hassle of a claim. But the car rental thing is tough because it's a push and shove where all the car rental agencies make their money selling you their pseudo insurance trash that the effective cost for them per day is about 70 cents for what they charge 30 or more dollars for a day. So it's a massive profit thing. That's why you want to be prepared up front. The best thing is to have, particularly for travel in the United States, have a card that sits primary, meaning you don't even involve your own auto insurance on claims they make about damage that has occurred to the vehicle. One of the big changes that happened with the car rental companies is it used to be that you were only charged for damage to a vehicle in a collision. They all changed that language, and anything at all that happens to that vehicle, they hold you responsible for. Second thing, money. I talk money. I've warned you before about this credit card scam that's spreading around the world. You go to pay now because most of the world, there are a few countries that people still do things in cash, but most now, see, they're tap to pay or it'll be Apple Pay, G Pay, Samsung Pay, whatever, or plastic. You go tap to pay and then on the screen, there'll be a thing that will show local currency or converting back into the currency of wherever you're from, in our case, U.S. dollars. So people think, oh, wow, they're just going to charge me U.S. dollars. They click there. Guess what you're paying when you click there? You're paying typically as much as 17.5% extra for the purchase when you click U.S. dollars instead of local currency. Something new that I have discovered, because this was my first trip to Europe since covid is now you go to an ATM in Europe to withdraw euro or whatever currency. I could never get the names of the Zloty right, the public, because I was in Poland part of the time this trip. Zloty, however you say it. Anyway, so you go to get Zlotys out, or uh, I was in Czech, or you, you know you got euro in uh, most of the rest of Europe. And at the ATM, it will then say, Do you want your money converted into dollars? They give you the local currency, but do you want your withdrawal in dollars or do you want it in the local currency? Whether it's Polish money, Czech money, uh, Euro, British pounds, whatever. If you click U.S. dollars, suddenly again, you're paying a transaction junk fee of up to 17.5%. Can you imagine that? 
You always, and all you have to do, it says on the screen, do you want to accept paying this fee or not? You say no, and you select the local currency, and then you get what's called the banker's buying rate on the money. Very important. Anytime you're buying something using your credit card, probably two-thirds of the time, it will do that same thing where it says local currency or dollars. Remember, always remember you're paying in local currency. On the ATMs, going back to them, if you go to an independent ATM after you get past that minefield where you know to select local currency and not dollars, then there will be a junk fee for pulling the money out. And that junk fee will range over a wide span. But usually bank ATMs, usually, not always, don't charge that junk fee. They may charge like an ATM here does. If you go to one that's not owned by your bank or credit union, and they charge you a $3 junk fee or something like that, you may see that even at a bank ATM elsewhere in the world. And that is one you know is going to be there, going to happen. But beware at independent ATMs, there may be a giant junk fee just for withdrawing the money. I could tell you a lot more, including, I didn't say any of the fun we had. Yes. Number one, something, any time you've ever heard me talk about travel, I've talked about the New York bargain. Who would ever think New York's a bargain, right? It's an expensive place to live. But for travel around the world, airfares out of New York generally are much, much cheaper than they are out of most anywhere else in the United States. It's not unusual for airfares to Europe to be as little as one-third the cost to one-half of the cost out of New York what they are most anywhere else out of the United States. So what I do is buy a domestic ticket to New York, then take the international fare from New York and saved a ton. That will not always save you huge money, usually will. We went to Frankfurt because that was the cheapest fare. Picked up our rental car, drove five and a half hours to Prague. Prague is so much fun. It is such an incredibly beautiful city. And you get really spoiled there because you'd think that English was the first language because everybody there working anywhere there seems to speak incredible English better than mine. The city is spectacular. We got around everywhere on public transit. Very easy to do now on your smartphone. Bought tickets on the smartphone. They do random checks. And if the check find that you haven't paid, then the fine you pay is massive. And right on my phone, I was able to show my valid tickets. I was on a tram, not the subway at that point. But Prague is magnificent, wonderful. We went from there, uh, another five and a half hour drive to Krakow, Poland. I'm half Polish. It was neat because it was my first trip to Poland and had a wonderful time. Krakow is a beautiful, beautiful city. We also did do a side trip to Auschwitz, Birkenau. And uh, oh my goodness, it was the third time I've been to a concentration camp. I thought that I was numb to it. I was so affected by being at Auschwitz. You've been to Auschwitz? I have not been there. No. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't think there's the right vocabulary yeah. to describe what I saw there. And 
what we don't know, we know that everybody in my family who was still in Poland when World War II started, we had zero survivors that we know of. And so I'm standing there, weird to think, likely I had relatives who died right there in those horrific conditions. And then you also feel so much hope because you see how things change over time, that societies do not stay frozen in time. You see how much better people are living, particularly since the fall of communism in the former communist countries. You know, a lot of us get stuck in history. And the reality is, learn lessons from history, but don't ever think that things stay static. Some things get worse over time. Some things get better. And it's up to you and me to remember and also make things better each and every day and little things we can do and big things as well. We went from there to a beautiful resort east of Dresden by this big palace castle complex on the Elbe River. I sent you some of those pictures, didn't I? Just gorgeous. And the funny thing was I talked about how in Prague, you'd think English was the first language. You get to that part of Germany, (laughs) there's like no English (laughs) spoken. Nobody seems to understand English at all. But the funniest thing, it was really, really hot, like record high temperatures that passed through Europe. We had to pay for air conditioning at the hotel. And we were staying at a resort hotel. And we couldn't get the air conditioning to work in our hotel rooms. And so I go back downstairs to the front desk, and that gentleman did speak English. In fact, he spoke five languages. Wow. And he said, well, you didn't pay for air conditioning. (laughs) I'm like, what? So you have to pay a nightly rate of eight euros, which is like just under $9, to have the air conditioning. And then they limit how much air conditioning you can have. And my son was like, Dad, can you go back down and see if we pay more euros, if we can have more air conditioning? That was funny. I'm with him. Yeah, well, but we had just a great, great trip. Nothing really went wrong other than it's amazing. I didn't have a coronary and die right by the gas pump when I saw how much it was to fill up every time. Yeah. Because you avoided that with the electric I did. car. And I looked it up. I was wrong. I paid 210 euros. So it was 30 euros a day. And that was the cheapest car insurance. Wow. So we were driving through Poland and we were getting near the German border on our way back. And we started passing these, you know, they have the auto plaza things along the autobahn, the freeway, whatever. And the last three in Poland had these lines of people buying gas all the way back onto the freeway. And I'm like, oh man, it's got to be a lot more expensive on the other side of the border. And sure enough, it was, and we had to pay like a dollar and a half more a gallon in Germany than we paid in Poland. Mm. Lesson learned. For sure. Sorry about all that. You can tell (laughs) I love travel. I love it. Can we go to some questions, though? Okay, let's let's try to get through some real quick. This one's from Margie in Florida. We're going to Portugal for nine days. Do you recommend GPS from the car rental company for $70 or use GPS on the phone? Use GPS on your phone. Make sure you check with your cell phone provider 
See what they charge you for using data overseas in Portugal, or when you land in Lisbon or Porto or wherever you land, buy a local SIM. Make sure your cell phone's unlocked from your carrier, T-Mobile, Verizon, AT&T. And you can put in a local SIM, or if your phone takes an eSIM, you can upload an eSIM. And using data that you buy locally is normally much, much, much cheaper than what you're going to get from Verizon or AT&T. T-Mobile only gives you five gigs for the course of your trip. Then after that, you have to buy daily data or a block of data at big cost. And so if you're going to be in Portugal, nine days, you may, if you're T-Mobile, you may be okay with the five gigs. But Verizon AT&T, again, would be much cheaper for you to buy that local SIM when you do land in Portugal, do your navigation on your phone. The car GPSs are like something from the dinosaur ages. Amanda Nevada says, please share with your followers a military benefit I just learned. American Airlines and United both offer access to their airport lounges for active duty in uniform and immediate family. More details and restrictions on their websites. And she provided a link. I checked Delta's website and they do not offer the same benefit. There may be other airlines or lounges who do, but I've only checked these three so far. So American United and Delta, this is something Delta does differently. Delta does not provide lounge access to military personnel, except during peak holiday periods in their hub airports, they offer and open military lounges for military personnel. So what American United do is fantastic, is to be able to go in those lounges between flights, and maybe us talking about it, Patriotic Delta, and they are a patriotic company, Mm -hmm. will feel like maybe... We should do that as well for military personnel. All right. One more quick one. Ed in California, I have a question about car rental insurance. I rent a car three or four times a year, but I don't own a car and don't have non-car owner's insurance. Is the insurance built into my Costco Visa card enough? The fine print says it is secondary insurance. What if I have no primary insurance? All right, Ed, great question. So the Costco card will cover damage to the car that you rent, and it would become primary because you don't have a non-auto owner's policy. But the big exposure isn't the cost of a vehicle, even if you totaled a $50,000 vehicle. The real cost is if somebody gets injured and you get sued for that because you don't have the auto policy, you're directly exposed for that. So I strongly recommend that you do buy a non-owner's auto insurance policy something that came about first in walkable cities like Boston and New York where people would travel and they'd need to rent a car and they had no insurance. And it's something that's available pretty much around the country now. And I recommend that you do buy it. So I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Remember, the sun never sets on Clark.com. We are there to serve you around the clock every day of the year. Also, something we've offered since February of 1993, free one-on-one advice, guidance, and information from our Team Clark Consumer Action Center, available to serve you Monday through Friday, 10 in the morning Eastern till 4 in the afternoon Eastern. You can call for one-on-one free advice, 636 
1-844-949-CLARK. Have a great day.